So it's just great to be here. Uh, great to see some uh, uh, friendly faces from the past and some new faces as well. It's wonderful. Just in this building, isn't it amazing? God's incredible provision, what he's uh, done for you and what he wants to do for you. So um, Raj and the team have asked me to speak on the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you've probably heard me speak loads of times on the Holy Spirit. Raj says, it doesn't matter, they just need to hear you again. Because we need to come, I thought it was so great what Angela brought, we just need to come and keep being refreshed in the Spirit. We need to come and keep drinking in the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus never imagined that his mission, so Jesus' mission is to fill all the earth with his glory. Jesus' mission is for every man, woman, child, person, young person, everyone to hear his good news and have an opportunity to respond. That's his mission. Go into, he said to his disciples, go into all the world, preach to all creation the good news, baptizing them all in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples of them all. That's his mission. Go to every nation, go to every people group with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And Jesus never imagined that mission being accomplished without the power of his spirit. In fact, he told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem. They were a frightened group of disciples. Peter had denied Jesus. Although they'd seen him raised from the dead, they still weren't filled with boldness. They were nervous. They killed Jesus. What might they do to us? And they were waiting in this upper room, probably this sort of size, probably this sort of number. And as they waited obediently, suddenly the Spirit of God came upon them. And it's such a radical transformation. To see those disciples who were nervous and frightened and worried and concerned for themselves suddenly be filled with power and boldness and confidence and they got imprisoned and they got persecuted but they weren't concerned about that. They were concerned about the glory of God and actually they considered it even a joy to suffer for him, even a joy to be persecuted for him. What changed? Well, they became Christians. Well, actually I think they were already Christians. They were already Christ followers. What changed is they became filled with the power of the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think we've forgotten today that that's what we need. And I think the pandemic really hasn't helped us. The pandemic has meant we got rather individualistic with our own little screens at home, you know, in our onesies with our cups of coffee, watching the, watching the screen. I haven't, I, haven't, I, I haven't actually got a onesie. I, please, nobody buy me one. <laughs> I don't want one. But, you know, that, it, it's taught us to be a little bit individualistic. And I don't think, you see, in the New Testament, it's very hard to find any incidents of disciples being filled on their own. Now, you can be filled on your own, God is very gracious and very good, and he does fill you on your own. But the norm in biblical times, and I believe the norm for the people of God, is to be filled in community, to be filled by the laying on of hands, to be filled by brothers and sisters praying for you and with you. Those disciples were filled together, and then together they went out with boldness. Now, there's a lot of confusion, I find, in Christendom, particularly in evangelicals, because they say, when do we get filled with the Spirit? Are we filled with the Spirit when we become a Christian? 
Or are we filled with the Spirit subsequently, later on? Well, let me answer that question. Yes. <laughs> it's like both. So let me give you some verses. I, I quoted some of these on Friday night, but I'm going to just quote them again. See, you cannot be a Christian. You can't be a Christ follower without having received some illumination of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So one of the definitions of a Christian is that we belong to God. He's purchased us with his precious blood. We're now his. We're not our own. We've surrendered to his lordship, to his authority. That's the definition of a Christian. Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord. I surrender to him. He's bought me with his blood. I'm now his. I'm bought. And the Spirit of God does that. That's what Paul says. If anyone does not have the Spirit, he doesn't belong to Christ. So if you belong to Christ, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. Another one Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Again, I quoted this on Friday night. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Now, I don't think that means, you know, if you go into your local news agent on a Sunday morning and say, right, I'm just going to ask you to repeat after me, Jesus is Lord, and they go, Jesus is Lord. Oh, you're a Christian now. No, I don't think it quite means that. I think it means if you declare it in faith, if you really believe it, if you say, Jesus is Lord, he is the king, he is the governor, he is the one I submit to, no one can say that, really mean it, really declare it, really believe it, without the Spirit having done a work of illumination in your heart. And yet, those early disciples needed an empowerment of the Spirit. And you can see, time and time and time again, through the Acts of the Apostles, groups of people who were Christ followers, who didn't or hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. We haven't got time this morning to look through them all, but you can look at the Sumerians uh, in Acts chapter 8, I think it is. And you can just see, it, they believed in Christ, they believed in Jesus, miracles were being done. There was a revival happening, but they hadn't yet received the Spirit. Paul himself was a believer on the road to Damascus. Do you remember, the, he said, a light shining brighter than the sun. I fell down as though dead. I said, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. He gets this revelation of Christ. He becomes a Christ follower at that moment. Three times in the book of Acts, he tells that story of his moment of conversion. No doubt about when Paul was converted. Three days later, a rather brave disciple. This is a guy who's been ruthlessly persecuting the church. Ruthlessly killing people. A rather brave disciple is asked to go and pray for him. And when he lays hands on him, it says scales fell from his eyes because at that point he'd been blinded by the light. I mean, really, he saw the light and was blinded by it. And it said he was filled with the Spirit at that point. So there's a delay. There's often delay. Now, I don't think it's God's heart that there's delay. When we used to run the Alpha course on Teesside here, we often saw people become Christians on one moment on the away day and then get filled with the Holy Spirit moments later. If you look in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius' household, you'll find there's an instant filling of the Spirit. These Gentile believers, Cornelius being the centurion, uh, 
he opened his home to Peter to come and preach the gospel. And Peter said, as I was proclaiming the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he fell on us. It was instant. So it can happen instantaneously. But right through the book of Acts, and in many of our experience, for my experience, there's an eight-year gap between becoming a Christian and being filled, empowered with the Holy Spirit. But I think the question is not when did it happen so much. The question is, are you filled? Not, oh, I got saved ten years ago. I got filled five years ago. And we can look back to some past experience. I think God wants to know, are you filled now? Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5, and he says, go on, be being filled with the Spirit. It's a really strange tense in the Greek. It's called a present continuous. It means to presently receive it and go on receiving it. So keep receiving the Spirit. So that I think we're in danger if we start to look back at certain points and say, when did I receive? It's like Angela's plant could say, when did I get watered? Oh yeah, it was three weeks ago. It was two weeks ago. It was a month ago. No, actually, now you need water. Now you need to be filled. Now you need to receive. It doesn't matter when you first received. Now receive the Spirit. And we need to be a now people. We need to be a people who are now receiving the Spirit. And I think COVID has robbed us of that and robbed us of the experience of a corporate community being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to just do some very basic Bible teaching. You've heard me do this before. Those of you on Alpha have heard me do this 20, 30 times. You could do it yourself. I know you can. I know you know it, but are you doing it? See, we can know something and not do it. You know, I know that eating cake is not a good thing for me. (laughs) But sometimes I do it. You can know something, but actually not live in the good of it. If you know that it's the... See, I don't think we can complete the calling of God on our life or the calling of God on Jubilee Church without the power of the Spirit. If we can, we're pretty arrogant. If you think you can, you're pretty arrogant. I don't think you can. I don't think you are supposed to fulfill the call of God on your life without the power, the energy of the Holy Spirit. I don't care how shiny and new your car is. If it's not filled with fuel, for most of us diesel, for Jonathan, you know, (laughs) whole different story, but we won't go there. You know, it's no good having a nice shiny car if it's not filled with fuel, if it's not empowered. And it's the, you know, you could have everything in Christ. You could have a brand shiny new. It's got sat-nav. It's got radio too. It's got, you know, I press a button, the windscreen wipers do automatically. It's amazing. It does everything. But unless there's fuel in it, unless there's power coming from something, diesel, electricity, petrol, whatever, it's not going to go anywhere. And God wants us to go somewhere. The church is a missional people called to go. We're called to go to the ends of the earth. We're called to go to the ends of our street. We're called to go to the next table in a coffee shop. We're called to go to our next door neighbor. We're called to go to the next town, the next village. We're called to be a going people. But the power that we go is the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So we as Christians sometimes could be fooled because we know these things intellectually, but we don't know them or we aren't doing them. It's not good enough to know it intellectually. It's not good enough, oh yes, I can recite those verses about Gideon, about Samson, about Bezalel. I know all that, but are you receiving it? Are you being filled? And are you being propelled on mission? So if you've got a Bible, we're going to turn to probably the most famous verses about Jesus' teaching of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 7, we know this very well. But just because you've eaten a meal before doesn't mean you don't eat a meal again. And why not eat a favorite one? This should be one of our favorite meals. It's such a great teaching, John chapter 7. We'll read it in a moment, but I'll just first of all give you the background of it. Again, many of you have heard me do this before, but the guys have asked me to do it again, and I'm at least obedient to them. The context of these teaching, these famous verses on Jesus telling us how to receive the Holy Spirit, the context is a feast. Now, there were several feasts in Jewish calendar cycle. This was probably the most famous. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. There are many feasts in our cycle, aren't there? Probably our most famous is Christmas. You know, that's the one that everybody seems to celebrate. doesn't matter whether you don't believe in God at all, you celebrate Christmas. And it doesn't matter what religion you are, you seem to celebrate Christmas. It's uh, my neighbours, uh, you know, I've got Muslim neighbours, they celebrate Christmas. It's like, it's, it's just funny, it's just incredible. And... Uh, I thought, you don't really know what you're celebrating, but it's, like, it's a big party. Now, the Jews did know what they were celebrating. It was Christmas. Well, it wasn't. It was Feast of Tabernacles. And they celebrated all sorts of things at the Feast of Tabernacles. But one of the things they did is they lived outside for a whole week. And they lived in tents. They called them booths or tabernacles, hence the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacle just means tent. So it's the Feast of Tents. So they go out on their flat roofs, not like our pointy roofs. (laughs) Couldn't really do it on our roofs. But they went out on their roof. Their roof was really another outdoor space. They didn't have gardens like we had. They had outside courtyards, and they had upstairs roofs where they would relax, or they would sometimes do working, washing, whatever, on the upstairs roof of their house. And they would, on the roof of their house, they'd make a tent out of palm branches and they'd live in it for a week. Kids loved it. You know, kids love camping. Kids love camping, I'd just like to say. New Day is going to be amazing this year. It's going to be fabulous. God's going to really meet our kids at New Day. Pray for it. I believe in my spirit there's going to be a mighty move of God amongst our young people at New Day. And they don't seem to mind living in a tent for a week. But what it does, do you remember North? Do you remember Devoted? The thing that you celebrate most about living in a tent for a week is coming home and realise you live in a house and you've got a real bed and hallelujah. And that's what, that, it was kind of like a prophetic reminder to them that they used to be a pilgrim people. They were a pil- people, Abrahamic people, called out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. They were called out to find a land of Canaan and to live in it. And Abraham became a nomadic people, the Abrahamic people. Then they were put into slavery in Egypt with Joseph. You know the story when they went down? Of course, at first it's blessing. Joseph becomes this prime minister. It's an amazing story. 
But then another Pharaoh rises who doesn't know Joseph. And the people of God are multiplying. And they go into slavery. And 400 years later, God raises up, raises up Moses to lead them out. And, of course, they go out and into the desert. They became a nomadic people again. And they're kind of celebrating, thank you, Lord, that we're no longer a nomadic people. Thank you, Lord, that we don't live in tents anymore. Thank you, Lord, you've given us the land. Thank you, you've given us houses and homes. And they were just so grateful for that fact. And they remembered their time, particularly in the wilderness. They also remember that in the wilderness, the one thing that you need desperately in the wilderness is water. And they remembered that during their wilderness experience, several times, God miraculously gave them water. There was a famous time when the people were parched, they were thirsty. And the people come to Moses and say, we're, we're thirsty. And Moses comes to God and God says, speak to the rock. I mean, as you do, <laughs> speak to the rock. And he speaks to a rock, and out of a rock flows this fountain of water. It was a prophetic picture of God's provision for them. God never let them go thirsty, never let them go hungry. He always looked after them. And they kind of celebrated that. They also celebrated and remembered one of their prophets. Again, we heard it on the... That was a great little video. Heard it on the video, Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel's one of the crazy prophets. I mean, mind you saying that, have you ever met a non-crazy... Oh, no, I shouldn't say that. But Ezekiel is one of the crazy prophets, and you just wonder what he's been vaping on. But he, he, sees, he sees these amazing pictures. I mean, you try and describe, oh, I see wheels within wheels, and that is, what are you talking about? I don't I get it. But one of his ones I do get, one of his visions I do get, and one of his visions that's become the most incredible vision in Ezekiel... Uh, chapter 47, is when he sees the temple of God. I want you to imagine this is, you know, this great altar and pulpit. It's like the temple. And he sees from the temple a river of living water flowing. Water flowing from the temple. And it's flowing out into the desert. In fact, actually, if you look at the geography, it flows into the Dead Sea in the geography and brings life wherever it goes. And it's like they believed that one day God would come to the temple and that God would pour out his living water. They'd had all sorts of Old Testament prophecies that God would do that. That God would pour out his water again on the land. That God would bring refreshment. And it wouldn't just go to Jerusalem, it would go to the nations. And they believed that would happen. So what would happen is, during the Feast of Tabernacles, they'd all gather in Jerusalem. I mean, some theologians reckon there could be up to a million people, because it wasn't just the population of Jerusalem. They'd all come in. It was like Glastonbury. It was like a festival. It's like they'd all come in from everywhere to, to see the service. And during the service, several things happened. But one of the main things that happened was the high priest... would get a golden pitcher, a golden jug. Use your imagination, guys. He'd get a golden jug, right? And he would march down <laughs> the temple steps. That's really hard. <laughs> he, would go, he would go to the pool of Siloam, which was at the bottom. 
he'd draw up water from the pool of Siloam, and then, he was an old boy, he he would march up to the temple, and he would sing a series of psalms called the Great Halal. It was a great series of psalms in the Old Testament hymnal. And one of them was, with joy I draw water from the well of salvation. He's singing this, with joy I draw water from the well of salvation. And he's marching up to the top of the steps. It's it's incredibly prophetic, it's incredibly moving. And then he gets to the top of the temple steps. And what he does, he just does a symbolic action. There's lots of symbolic actions in the Bible. I was reading one yesterday in my reading. I'm reading through Acts of the Apostles and Agabus takes off his belt or takes off Paul's belt and he ties up Paul with his own belt. And he says the owner of this belt is going to be tied up and handed to Rome. You go, wow, that's kind of like a prophetic, <laughs> a prophetic picture. It's a prophetic action and it did come to pass. Anyway, this is a prophetic action. I'm not going to do it, don't worry. He pours out the jug, of the golden jug of water. He pours it out down the temple steps into the Kidron Valley As like a a prophetic action. It's like a symbolic action. That wasn't really the living water. It was just a symbol that one day God is going to do this. And they do that for every day of the feast. For six days they do it, just like that. But on the seventh day, and some people called the seventh day the greatest day of the feast, On the seventh day of the feast, we do it again. Golden pitcher of water. Down to the pool of Siloam. Get up the water. (laughs) Back up the temple steps. And then, he just pauses. He just waits. Because that was just a prophetic action. Who knows? Perhaps today, perhaps today, this is the day it's going to be fulfilled. And he just waits. And it's one of those holy moments. You know that there are holy moments? When you don't want to speak, when you're quite happy that it's silent. I'll give you a holy moment that's probably happened a thousand times in this church. Does anyone know of any legal impediment? That why this man should not be married to this woman. <laughs> and you want to just hold your breath, don't you? You know, if your child starts to cry, <laughs> you don't want to say anything. Unless, of course, you do know there's a legal impediment and then you can shout it out. But it's like a holy moment. We want to just be quiet. Now, the Bible doesn't say exactly when Jesus spoke these words, but it does say, as we're going to read now, On the last, verse 37, John chapter 7, that was the longest introduction you've ever heard to a Bible reading, but don't worry, we're halfway through the message. On the last and greatest day of the feast, right? It's on the day they don't pour the water out. It tells us that. We know it from rabbinical history, that's what used to happen. So on the last and greatest day of the feast, I want to think at that point, don't you? Wouldn't it make most sense at that point? Jesus stood, when everyone else is quiet, and said in a loud northern voice, by the way. You know he was a northerner. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if you're thinking about water right now, 
In other words, if anyone is thirsty, yeah? That's what he's saying. If you're thinking about water right now, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And then John, the Apostle John, so helpfully comments, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The glorification of Jesus, it's a little word, which is a small phrase to describe the death, burial, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. That's his, glorif- that's his hour of glorification. That's his hour of glory. That hadn't happened at this point. So therefore the Spirit couldn't be given. Of course, now it's happened. It can be given. But Jesus' teaching is so helpful, I think, for those of us who have and do live after his glorification. Let me just give you very, very quickly three or four little points here. Firstly, if anyone is thirsty... Right? It's not like, oh, you've got to do this to belong to Jubilee, have you? You've got to be spirit-filled to belong to the family. No, you haven't. But you get to. You want to. You should be thirsty for these things. We often don't really know what it's like to be thirsty because we live in a day and age where you can just about buy water or drink water or get water anywhere. But they would know what it was like to be thirsty. Are you thirsty for God? Has this last two years left you dry? It's left me dry. It's left me thirsty for God's presence in the corporate community. That's why we had such a great conference together. It's the first time as leaders we've just all been together. Worship. You could have sang, we all live in a yellow submarine, and we'd have worshipped God, because it was just so glorious to be together as the people of God. And we worshipped and received the Spirit. Friends, are you thirsty for him. We referred to the first few verses of the Bible in that video, the spirit hovering over the creation and creating. The last few verses of the Bible say this, the spirit and the bride say, whoever is thirsty, let him come and take the free drink of the water of life. Friends, are you thirsty? Are you desperate for God? Because if you're not, you won't receive, I tell you. If you're thirsty, if you're hungry, you will receive. Secondly, it says, come to Jesus, come to me. And I think this is the second mistake we make as Christians. We think it's come to the leader at the front. Come to the man of power for the hour, or the woman of power for the hour. Come, come to the anointed person. The truth is this, we're all anointed people. We're anointed body. The elders are no more anointed than you are. We're all anointed with the same spirit. They've probably got a bit more responsibility than you have. That's okay. But they're no more anointed than you are. And you know, you, you, can, you can be in this thing. I've, I've been in it loads of times. I, I, I've fallen foul to this myself. I've been at a conference and you know there's the big man there. You know, there's the Terry Virgo or there's the John Wimber or there's the, 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 I don't know, I can name so many different names from the past. There's, there's big people who, who you think, I want them to pray for. You know, it's like this setting. It's like, you know, I, 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 want, I want Raj to pray for me, you know. So we come up here and we come on, we're, look, we're looking all holy, because you know, you've got to look holy, haven't you, when you're, being, you're waiting to be prayed for, you know. 
and you're, you, you know, you're, you're like this, and it's like one eye holy and one eye open. Oh, look, Raj is coming near me. Raj is coming near me. Oh, no, I think it's Gavin coming near. <laughs> you know, and you even step back a bit, that's good. <laughs> Gavin's gone to somebody else now. Raj is finished, he's coming. Oh, no, Gavin's finished rather quickly with that person, because nothing happened, and he's coming to me. Oh, no, Gavin's praying for me. I love him. Listen, it doesn't matter who prays for you. Because actually, it's not Raj's hands that are on you or Gavin's hands on you. It's Jesus' hands that are on you. We're the body of Christ. And when we lay our hands on you, we've got nothing to give you. But he's got everything to give you. And when we lay hands on you or anyone lays hands on you, Actually, you're receiving from Jesus. Jesus is the baptizer in the Spirit. He's the one who pours out his Spirit, not Raj. Hallelujah. Thirdly, drink. Now, drinking, it's like it's not difficult to drink. Really, it's not. You know, you don't have to give children drinking lessons, do you? You, know, you don't have to teach a ch- baby's like it's one of the first things they do is learn to, learn to drink. Learn to suckle, learn to receive. Yet, drinking is not difficult. So I think Jesus uses some of the most, I mean, the, that's the first thing a baby does, drink. I think Jesus uses that as such a simple, I mean, drinking's easier than eating. Eating can be a bit complicated. You know, do I use the knife? Do I use a fork? Do I use my hands? Do I have to peel it? Do I have to cut it? Well, but drinking's just like, there's no complication with drinking. It's just simply put it to your lips and receive it. That's the simple as receiving the Holy Spirit. But some of us get so religious about it. You know, oh Lord, would this water flow out of this vessel unto mine own dear lips? I think Gavin must be praying for me. I'm not getting it. You idiot. It's, It's not about praying for it. It's receiving it. It's taking it. It's imbibing it. And that's how you became a Christian. That's the moment you became a Christian. You said, Jesus, thank you for dying for me on a cross. I receive it, didn't you? If you're not a Christian here this morning, then you can simply receive Christ. It's an act of faith. I receive him. Same with the Holy Spirit. You receive him. You say, thank you. I, if somebody, Sometimes I like to do actions. <laughs> and you know... I, the, the, the spirit, one, of the, one of the words for the Spirit of God is ruach, the breath of God. It's the same word for spirit and breath. It, it's the same in Hebrew, ruach. It's the same in um, Greek, pneuma, uh, breath and spirit. And it's like the spirit breathed into Adam and Eve, didn't it? That's what we heard that on the video. The spirit breathed life. And sometimes I just love to breathe him in. I just like to go, I receive you now. I didn't really receive the Spirit, I just received lung full of air. But it's a prophetic act. I love to go, yeah, Lord, I take you in, I'm, I'm taking you in. Luther, the great reformer, said, everything we receive from God, we receive with hands of faith. You take it, all right? Take it. So the illustration I always use on Alpha, you'll always remember this, Shirley. It's about rich Auntie Ethel. You know, uh, nobody's ever had a rich, has anyone got a rich Auntie Ethel? No, no, nobody, I've, I've preached this word dozens of times, no one's ever had a rich auntie Ethel, but you know, it might be one day they'll do. So anyway, I want you to imagine rich auntie Ethel, uh, she's a single lady, uh, and she's rich, hence rich auntie Ethel. <laughs> and 
you know, she's so trendy. She's, she's like one of those trendy aunties. And she knows exactly what you like. And she knows exactly like what's available, what the latest trends are. But she knows you. She knows what you like. You know, she knows if it's maybe that piece of clothing from that designer label, or she knows it's that particular Apple product, or she knows it's that particular book, or she knows it's that particular author, she knows it's that particular music, she just, or that particular jewellery that you collect. She just knows, and she's so brilliant. And every Christmas, Rich Auntie Ethel sends you the most glorious Christmas present. It's, it's always the best Christmas present. And it always arrives on Christmas Eve because she's so brilliant. She just knows the postal system. She knows when to post it. She, it's like every Christmas Eve. It happens every Christmas Eve. Rich Auntie Ethel sends me this most amazing parcel. And I always know it's her parcel because it's just wrapped up in such a beautiful way with ribbons. It's just, and her handwriting so distinctive. It wouldn't be Christmas without Rich Auntie Ethel's parcel. So I want you to imagine. I mean, it's July, so it's hard to imagine. But it's Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. And about 11 o'clock in the morning, I mean, it used to be 9 o'clock, but it's now 11. <laughs> Ding dong. The postman rings the bell. You recognize the silhouette of your postman. Wow. And you can actually see through the door. You can see it's Rich Auntie Ethel's box. You can kind of see her handwriting. You can almost see the... You can see it. And you open the door on the chain and you go... Oh, just leave it out round by the bins. I'll pick it up tomorrow. No, you don't. Because it won't be there tomorrow. It's Teesside. <laughs> <laughs> or Manchester, I should say. <laughs> it won't be there tomorrow. Don't. No, you don't. You get off the chain and you go, it's mine. Thank you. You don't even say, oh, Mr. Postman, I, I don't know if I really feel worthy this morning. To Would you just pray for me? Uh, so that I would receive it with faith. No, you don't. You say, it's mine. You take it off. You, you don't even really thank him. You don't even really care about him. You just take it, and it's yours. Bye, and it's yours. You've got it. Listen, that same kind of desperation, that same kind of receiving. I mean, you can be thankful, but just receive the Spirit. It's you. Your Father is rich in heaven. He knows what you need, and he gives good gifts to his children. Receive it. Take it. If anyone's thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. And then the miracle happens. Up to this point, there's been no miracle. Up to this point, it's just been like normal. Someone's placed their hands on you. You said, all right, I'll receive it. Then something miraculous happens. It says here, and streams of living water will flow from within you. See, what it doesn't say is this, and you'll be in immensely satisfied and pleased with the gift. You'll be fulfilled in your life. I now have purpose and fulfillment. I've got the Spirit. I'm happy and joyful. Now, all those things happen, but it says the miraculous consequence of receiving the Spirit is not your happiness or your satisfaction, although you'll be immensely happy and immensely satisfied. Something happens within you that turns the tap on you inside and the water that you've received through your mouth somehow comes out of your belly. It says streams of living water come out from you. And it's interesting what the word that Jesus uses there. He uses the Greek word that is translated, I don't know what it said in the translation I read, in, uh, within you or innermost being. It really means the gut. Or, or actually the Greek word is kolios, 
which we get the lovely word colon from, don't we, Angela? And it's actually fascinating because the mystics of old reckoned we had a second brain, <laughs> a second area of consciousness in the gut. In fact, we get a little throwover from that when you say, oh, I've got a gut feeling. I've got, you know, my... And where do you hear good news? Or where do you hear bad news? You don't hear it in your head, do you? You hear it here. Your heart leaps for joy. Your tummy leaps for joy. You, 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 it's like a gut punch if you hear bad news. Something about this innermost being. Something about your very bad... It's called the bowels in some translation. It doesn't sound too nice. But it says, like, right inside... And Jesus uses that word deliberately because the ancient rabbis used to refer to the temple as the coleos of God, the innermost bowels of God. In fact, they believed that Israel was the coleos, the centre of the world. Geographically it's not, but spiritually it is. Then they believed that the temple, or, or Jerusalem I should say, was the geographic or the centre of Israel. Geographically it isn't, but spiritually it is. And then they believed that the temple was the centre of Jerusalem. Geographically it isn't, but spiritually it is. And they had this phrase for the temple, the centre of the centre of the centre. You might say the bullseye, the coleos of God. And Jesus says, and this is making such an incredible point, he's saying... The fulfillment of all Ezekiel's visions about temples and rivers flowing out of it is not about something made with bricks and mortar. It's about living temples. It's about you. It's about the church. We are now the temple of God. And as you receive the Spirit, from within you will flow rivers of living water. So dear friends, we need to come and receive the Spirit. And as a result of it, you will be a life giver. You'll be a water bearer. You'll be someone who dispenses the Spirit. And that's not supposed to be in this building. It might be in this building. But it's actually supposed to be where you are. Now it's just gone 12. Where will you be just after 12 tomorrow? Think about it. We'll probably be in our favourite coffee shop because it's our day off. Where will you be? Think about it. That's where he wants you to dispense his water. That's where he wants you to bless. Most of the use of the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament are not in the church. They're at wells. They're in marketplaces. They're on the way to the temple, not in the temple. Joseph uses them in the family. He uses them in the prison. He uses them in the palace. You know, it's those settings. It's in life. The gifts of the Spirit and the blessing of the Spirit is supposed to flow from you into life. Now, we're bringing this into an end. And the end is this. Will you receive the Spirit? Will you come again? <clears throat> you know, some of us have been a bit empty. Some of us have been a bit dry. Some of us haven't been filled. And this is what he wants to do. He literally, I don't know what I'm doing, he literally wants to fill you to overflowing. So that when tomorrow Gavin goes to the coffee shop, <laughs> something miraculous happens. Do we do baptisms by sprinkling or immersion? Or, you know, uh, Anne said, I don't think Gavin's ever seen you do that. He has now. <coughs> I just checked you hadn't got your phone there. We're okay. <laughs> you remember. Charlotte, yeah. 
You'll remember. I do that only because you'll remember it. Only because you'll remember it. That's the point. We're supposed to be filled up so it overflows from us. Now, you can't overflow that which is not filled. You must be filled first, and then tomorrow you overflow. This afternoon you overflow. So, friends, we're not going to do anything weird now. There's not going to be any kind of sort of spooky music. Nobody's going to do weird things with lights. There's no, nothing going to be released into the atmosphere. We're not manipulating anything. We're simply saying, as your people, we want to receive the Spirit. We want to be a Spirit-filled community here in Jubilee. And we want to reach Stockton. We want to reach Middlesbrough. We want to reach Hartlepool. We want to reach Billingham. We want to reach Thornaby. We want to reach Redcar. We want to reach the villages of Aiton and Stokesley and Yarm. <coughs> we want to reach out. We want to be an outreaching people who live out the Spirit. If you're up for that, why don't you come forward? Why don't you stand first? We're not going to even play music because I, I think some of my musician friends want to be prayed for. And if you want to be prayed for, we have a ministry team here, I'm told. We have leaders here who are equipped for this. Some of them are drenched already in the Spirit. We want to pray for you. We want you to be a Spirit-filled person in this church. And we want us to be a Spirit-filled community. If you're up in the balcony, I don't know whether there's a ministry team in the balcony. There are a ministry team in the balcony, so you don't even have to come down. I would just suggest you don't stand right at the edge of the balcony as you get prayed for. <laughs> Otherwise, there might be an interesting surprise. Happens in the Bible. Paul resurrects them, by the way. But uh, if, you wanna, if, you, if, you, if there are a ministry team up there in the balcony, we want to be praying for these people. So if you want to come forward, you can come forward. Or if you don't feel you can come forward. If, if you're just nervous in terms of um, infections and stuff, that's fine. We'll, we'll pray sensitively. If you want to be filled, if you want to come forward and pray, even Gavin will pray for you. Because <laughs> he's now freshly drenched. Thank you, Lord. Andy's going so far forward, he's going out the back. <laughs> it's like, I've never seen someone so keen. <laughs> Great. So, ministry team, could you come? And, and folks who are involved in leadership here, who you've been trained and equipped to pray for people, could you come as well? Make some space. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to pray, just before we pray. So ministry team, if you could start to stand next to people. Ministry team, if you could just start to be next to people. Lord Jesus, this is not spooky. This is not weird. This is normal Christianity. That the people of God would be filled with the Spirit of God. It was always your way. It was always your intention. So therefore, Lord... We pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh. We don't come to individuals. We're thirsty, Lord, and we come to you, risen Lord Jesus, the one who gives the Spirit. And we say, Jesus, we want to fulfill your mission, but we don't want to do it without the power of the Spirit. Therefore, come Spirit of God, fill us afresh. Don't be complicated. Don't counsel. Don't be long prayers. It's just fill them, Lord. More, Lord. Come on them, Lord. And as they're doing that, just breathe him in. Just drink him in. Just receive him in. If you ask, Jesus said, my Father will give you the Holy Spirit. Not might. He will give you the Spirit. 
it's his reputation that's at stake here, not mine. He will give you the Spirit if you ask. Now just start to pray for one another. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Start to pray. Come Spirit of God, come Lord. Start to drink him in.